I just wanted to let everyone know that there won't be an episode coming out next week. I wasn't planning on taking a break, but for those of you in the Maritimes, and I think most of us in Canada right now, everything is opening up. And I haven't seen my family in over eight months. Finally, I'll be able to cross over the border to New Brunswick to go visit them. So I'll be busy driving and visiting people instead of recording an episode. I hope you have plenty of podcasts to listen to, and we will be getting you another episode soon. Hi, my name is Danielle, and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone and welcome back. I'm Danielle. I'm Paul-Emile. And you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing a terrible tragedy that took place in a small community in Ontario called Burke's Falls. This happened in 2018, and three generations of a family were tragically killed. As you'll come to see as we go through the episode, it's quite possible that these events could have been prevented. Back in the 1970s, Olivi and Raya Tarunin started building their dream house in the community of Burke's Falls in Ontario. Their children, who were adults, were around off and on, and their adult daughter, who was a nurse, had actually just gotten married, and she ended up moving to the U.S. with her husband not too long after her parents had built the house. Her family was very close, despite the fact that she was living in another country. According to a 2019 Globe and Mail article, the daughter, whose name was Ula, and her husband had three sons, Thomas, Paul, and Hans. As they got older, the boys took turns heading back to Canada and helping their grandparents manage the farm. In 2014, Ula and her husband also returned to Canada, but not long after, Ula's marriage ended. She stayed in Canada and her husband returned to the U.S. Her sons were around, but they were adults at this point, so they're not necessarily living there, but in communities close by. At one point, one of her sons was overseas teaching English, so they're kind of in and out, um, though they remain very close. Right, so they, they their home base was Canada. Yes. They didn't go back to the U.S. with their dad. Knowing that Ula'd return home, old family friends would stop by to say hi and try to reconnect with her. Among these friends was a man named Mark Jones. Mark had been a friend of Ula's brother. They were hunting buddies. At this point, and I don't think this was known to Ula, but Mark had a bit of a strained relationship with some of the local people. He'd had a lot of friendships and they kind of fizzled over the years. One of his friends recalled for the Globe and Mail article that they had actually stopped inviting Mark on hunting trips because Mark had some health issues like diabetes and they really worried that if he wasn't taking care of himself, something would happen in the woods. So they weren't inviting him anymore. 
and that had caused a rift in the relationship well i could see if he was used if he was used to going with his buddies and all of a sudden because of reasons that are beyond his control he's no longer part of the gang so it would kind of be hard in the head it would i it wasn't set out right but i do think he wasn't taking care of his health either i think that might have been the big reason his friends weren't inviting him because because of that they were really concerned that there'd be an incident but yeah that would be difficult another former friend of mark's states that he and mark had actually been on a hunting trip together when an incident occurred with a hunting rifle and that caused a permanent rift in their friendship apparently what had happened is mark had accidentally pointed a loaded rifle at his friend and the rifle had gone off no one was hurt his friend like dropped to the ground when the rifle was turned towards him my understanding of this incident it was entirely accidental but i think i mean it was a, a complete lack of gun safety and a cause for major concern so i think his friend just decided that this wasn't happening anymore well having been around rifles my whole life i think if something like that would happen with somebody i was with in the, in the woods my reaction would be the same so after ula moved back to the family farm mark started coming around more frequently according to a 2018 toronto sun article as ula was rekindling her friendships she started spending more time with mark but it pretty quickly became apparent that their personalities didn't fit very well together she was very free-spirited and he would often try to control her i mean she was newly divorced after a long marriage i think she was just trying to sort of you know get her own life become her own person as a single person maybe no longer like your kids are adults you're no longer mainly a parent you can have other hobbies and interests and i think he was just trying to keep her to himself he would try to control her he tried to control who she saw and what she wore and her son Hans said that he never got a good feeling about him now I'd like to point out here that Mark and Ula were just friends they weren't dating not that it would be appropriate like not that his behavior would have been appropriate otherwise but I feel like you hear about that type of behavior more commonly in people that are dating than just friends but in this case it was only a friendship well, the fact that there was only a friendship and him trying to control her life to that point is a great big red flag. Had they been in a relationship? It would have been a red flag as well. But yes, I, I understand what you're saying. This is even the boundaries of a friendship are quite different. So you would expect this even less. In 2015, Ula mentioned to her son Thomas that Mark had been leaving upsetting notes in her mailbox. Thomas said that after this incident, after his mother mentioned these letters, she didn't bring Mark Jones up to him again. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't more to the story. So I don't think Ula was being completely transparent towards everyone in her life about what was going on. And honestly, I think she was just trying to probably protect them by not sharing all of the information. Yeah, or thinking that she could handle the situation on her own. Right. 
Ula's mother, Raya, kept inviting Mark over to the house. So apparently he worked a little bit like a handyman around the farm. Um, her husband and Ula's father had passed away, I believe, in 2017, and they needed some extra help. So again, I don't think Ula's mom knew all of what was going on. So she'd invite Mark over for cards after he was done helping around the house. So he did spend a fair amount of time in the house. A North Bay Nipissing news article from 2018 reports that Hans, one of Ula's sons, remembers an occasion that Mark came over to the house and Ula was downstairs with Hans. But she told Hans that she didn't want Mark downstairs and he could see that she was very uncomfortable. So he actually went up upstairs and told Mark that he had to leave. Which he did. I don't think there was any incident at the time. But they lived in such a small town. It's a couple hundred people. It was really difficult to avoid him. Friends recalled Mark and Ula running into each other at a laundromat. And Mark started ranting and raving and calling her all sorts of degrading names. And a similar incident happened at a gas station where they accidentally ran into one another and he behaved in a similar fashion. Ula confided in a man that she'd briefly dated that at one point, Mark had pointed an unloaded gun at her and squeezed the trigger as a joke. I don't know if she knew the gun was unloaded. I don't... Like, even hearing this is making my chest squeeze because I, I've not handled guns a whole lot in my life, but on a few occasions. And regardless... Of your thoughts on whether or not you've unloaded that gun you never ever under any circumstances ever point a gun towards a person you always treat a weapon as if it's loaded right whether you know that you just unloaded it or not that's I, I guess it's one of the first rules they'll teach you in any uh, gun safety course these incidents kept occurring the letters in the mailbox the run-ins with mark and then one day, Ula and her mother came home from grocery shopping and they found Mark sitting at the kitchen table. So they come home from shopping and he's randomly sitting at their table. For no reason. He had not been invited over to their house. Now, I don't know if the door had been locked or not. Being a small community, they may not have been locking their doors. But regardless, he was not supposed to be there. So it was quite a shock when they came to the house and he was there. At this point, Ula's son Paul was also living at Raya's, at his grandmother's house. His girlfriend, her name's Julia Conway, was at their house one evening, and she found Ula in the backyard burning some garbage. This wasn't unusual, apparently it was a practice that they did pretty frequently, but Ula was crying. And when Julia asked her what was going on, she told her that she'd yet again found a threatening letter in the mailbox from Mark. But she went further this time and confided in Julia that Mark had sexually assaulted her. All of this and nowhere's have the police been involved yet. I don't believe she's gone to the police yet. Now I want to pause this for a second and just do a little bit of an aside. I know many women, personally and otherwise, have experienced some of this threatening behavior. Um, sexual assault, 
people showing up randomly or um, you know showing up somewhere they are and verbally assaulting them these things happen pretty frequently and sometimes I hear men talking about how they don't understand why women get scared or intimidated in certain situations that should not be threatening but when you've experienced this type of thing in your life or seen people have experienced it something as simple as going to the grocery store and seeing you know three four men hanging out at the door can become a scary experience situations that can seem innocuous become threatening and i think it's very important for society somehow to find ways to stop this kind of behavior it should not be considered acceptable to threaten people it should not be considered acceptable to scream at someone in public or behind closed doors for that matter. But we need to make it easier for women to find safe ways to report these types of situations. We need to find better ways to handle them. It's really not right for women not to feel safe going to the gas station, going to the grocery store, um, going to the laundromat. This needs to end. I also think that men have a responsibility to make sure that even if their intentions are not bad, to acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of women that are afraid. And if it means something as simple as walking down the sidewalk and there's a woman in front of you, if it means crossing the street and walking on the other side, not to intimidate her, I think we need to be aware of those situations and take the steps necessary not to scare them or make them feel uncomfortable. A lot of men hear these things and think it's silly because they would never do anything. But the thing is, the reason it's scary for women or frightening is because things have happened. So we'll get back to Ula here. As time was going on, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what Mark was looking for out of Ula. I'm guessing he probably wanted a romantic relationship, but that's purely speculation on my part. But obviously he wasn't getting what he wanted from her and was escalating his behavior. Many people were seeing this happening, but no one reported anything. A lot of times when you see this kind of behavior, you think of it as inappropriate. You know it's bizarre and it's not right, but most of us wouldn't report that. And I'm not blaming the people who didn't do it because I probably wouldn't have done it myself. But that's what I mean when I say like we need to have better ways to talk about this stuff. At this point, some of Mark's acquaintances noticed that he was exhibiting other troubling behavior. He did tell one of his friends that he'd been diagnosed with dementia. He was only 58 years old. And he told his friend that he wouldn't go out like this and had begun selling some of his belongings. So... Mark telling this friend that he's got dementia, is that a known fact or is he just setting up some sort of excuses for his odd behavior? No, I believe it was correct that he had been diagnosed with dementia. At this point, Ula had shared with a few people that Mark had assaulted her, but she had asked them not to tell anyone. Some of her friends advised her to go to the police and... She didn't do that at first, and they didn't either. At one point, though, she decided that it was time to talk to the police about what had happened. 
On September 22nd of 2018, Ula decided to report the assault. The police asked her why it had taken her so long to report the assault, and she told the officers that she was scared, which I think is completely legitimate. You report an assault like that, and it's not like the person's getting whisked off the street. I also think that the fact that they asked her that question shouldn't make any difference because she came when she was ready to do it. It doesn't make any difference how long she waited. I think I'm correct saying this, but I don't think Canada has a statute of limitation on sexual assault or rape. The U.S. in certain states, there is a statute of limitation. So regardless of how long it took her, it should not have mattered. But I mean, this is always, we've heard it time and time again, the questions that get asked, the way women get treated when they report this kind of thing. I mean, there's a reason it's not reported most of the time when it happens. A case was opened, but as we know, these things take time and the wheels of justice move really slowly. So we skip forward to February 21st, 2018. Hans took his mother out for a birthday lunch and then dropped her back off at home. This was the last time he would see her alive. According to a 2019 Globe and Mail article, Julia Conway, who's Paul's girlfriend, headed over to Raya's house where Paul and Ula were still living after she finished work. So this was February 23rd, 2019, a Friday. This was Julia's usual routine. So she finished work on Friday, she'd get some coffees and head over to the house. She was pretty close to the whole family. It was about 7.30 in the evening when she got there and she let herself into the house. She could hear the family dog, uh, dog named, the dog's name is Lily. She could hear Lily barking in the basement, but otherwise the house was really quiet, which was odd for 7.30 in the evening, especially with a couple people living in the house. She decided to go check on the dog. She found Lily in the basement But she was also met with a shocking scene. Paul's body was just outside the bathroom door. Lily was guarding him. He was dead, apparently from gunshot wounds. Julia ran back upstairs and found two more bodies. Both Ula and her mother were deceased. It was clear that they had also been shot. When Julia got to the kitchen, she had to use a landline to call. She couldn't use a cell phone because service was quite spotty in that area. She came upon yet another body. This time, though, she didn't actually recognize who it was immediately. So she called 911, and the police were dispatched to the house. Now, the person in the kitchen where the phone was had been shot in the face, so... She couldn't recognize him, but all of a sudden it dawned on her who that was. That was Mark Jones. So what a traumatic experience for her to go in the basement to check on the dog. And she discovers a body. She goes upstairs and stumbles upon two more and decides to call for help and finds the fourth. Uh, I think it would be a never-ending nightmare. You would feel like it was an actual nightmare. Every corner she turned, she was faced with another another body. 
From what the police were able to gather from the scene of the crime, Mark Jones had murdered the three members of the family and shot himself. They believe he'd come to the house in the early morning hours of February 22nd, bringing a shotgun and a handgun with him. He shot Ula, who was 55 at the time, her son Paul, who was 28, as well as Ula's mother, Raya, who was 88, before shooting himself, according to a Barry CTV News article from 2018. The tragic events from that day sent the whole community reeling, but it also led a lot of people to wonder if these events could have been prevented. We don't often talk about solved cases. Um, generally, we try to cover missing people, unsolved cases, cold cases, because we feel like those are the ones that need the most attention. It's a little different for us tonight. I know we've done a few before, but we're kind of going a different track here tonight a little bit. But I do think it's a really important case to talk about because there was a history, a pattern of behavior from Mark and maybe had that been addressed in some way, maybe if there had been a way to address that, those three people, well, those four people could still be alive today. So I think, I think it's something we need to consider and we need to talk about. What can be done? How can we prevent this? How can we address this type of behavior? I think in this case, I mean, Ula couldn't get away. She tried to report the crime and... I'm sure the police were investigating, and I'm sure they were probably following protocol on their investigation, but it's going to take months and years for anything to happen, and he might just get a slap on the wrist. And for someone who's escalating, who the comments he was making to his friends that he wasn't going to go out like that, I mean, it did indicate that he was planning something, maybe just towards himself, but still, it was... It's a tragic situation, and it should be very eye-opening at how our society handles stalking and harassment. We're going to wind down tonight with our moment of kindness. A listener and I were having a chat a few weeks ago, and she shared a moment of kindness with me, so with her permission, I'm going to share this one tonight. She's paralyzed and uses a wheelchair to get around, and a few years ago, she got a puppy. And for all of us who've ever had a puppy, we know how much work they can be. They have a lot of energy, they need a lot of attention. So she decided that her puppy needed a walk that day. So she popped him on his leash and they went out for a walk. So while they were out, they got close to a house that had a fence. But this big dog ran up to the fence and started barking very aggressively. And the puppy was really scared and was trying to hide. So our listener tried to pick the puppy up to reassure him, but because she was in her wheelchair, she was having a hard time getting a hold of the dog. And the dog was upset, and she got very upset, and the big dog was barking. So you can imagine the chaos there, trying to pick up her dog. She started to cry. And then out of nowhere, she says a woman came up to her and asked her, do you want me to pick up your puppy and give it to you? And she said, yes, please. So she helped her get the dog on her lap gave her a tissue, calmed her down a little bit, and walked away. And what struck me when she was telling me this story is she said, I would have been fine. I was upset. We were worked up. But everything would have been fine. There was a fence. So probably there wouldn't have been a problem. But just the fact that someone showed up and was so kind to her and patient and calm really 
de-escalated the situation, made her calm down. And she says even to this day, she thinks about that, about how a perfect stranger who didn't have to do anything came up and helped her and how much that meant to her. So thank you for sharing that story. I think it was a really nice one. Yeah, it's a great story. And the thing that uh, hits me right off the hop is somebody didn't just show up and assume that because she was in a wheelchair, she needed help. She asked if she needed help. Which I think is also a very important thing. It is. Anytime, if you're going to help someone, I think asking first is a way to go. I think sometimes we make assumptions and we're wrong. So asking the question and they'll let you know if they can use some help or not. Sure. Did you have a moment you wanted to share? I actually do. Okay. Um, I read this story on uh, CBC, uh, sort of Nova Scotia, where this young boy was fishing with his grandfather and they were fishing for striped bass and the fishing equipment that the lad had was not appropriate for fishing these huge fish. They could be three feet long. Okay. So this, I, they referred to him as a professional fisherman, uh, stopped by and started talking to them and um, brought back a lot of memories to him because he used to go fishing with his grandfather too. And he walked back to his car and took all his, bass fishing gear the rod and the lures and everything and gave them to the young fella oh nice and told them that it was you know um, more appropriate gear for what he was fishing and the kid didn't want to take it at first until he looked at his grandfather and the grandfather nodded that it was okay so they made a plan that eventually they're going to go fishing together this guy and and the kid but you know he probably the experience is going to stick with that kid forever and you know that at some point he's going to want to pass that on to somebody else for sure and it's very feel good and i feel like when you do that type of action it probably brings more to the person who's doing it than the person who's on the receiving end of it because it makes you feel really good to do something nice of course and i think there's two sides to this i think he felt good by his action of giving uh, the kid the fishing equipment and it brought back good memories of him and his grandfather fishing mm -hmm. and probably in his mind i know it would go through mine is if my grandfather would have seen what i just did he would have been very pleased with it thanks to everyone who's been listening and also posting on our facebook group if you're not in the group yet please join us. You can find us at Crime and Mystery Canada. We're also on Instagram under the same name, and you can write to us at crimeandmysterycanada at gmail.com. Stay safe out there and have a good night. Good night. I'm glad we had those moments of kindness because this case was super heavy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>